The Fanboy, episode 79. Everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 79th edition of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Uh, me, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better, as uh, as you guys know. I had to miss last week because I was not feeling so hot. I got a fever the night before and chills and throat things and all kinds of no goodness. But I'm feeling much better this week. And uh, by the way, just a quick note on my health because I know. Like Aaron Verola, for example, says, dude, you're always sick. And I get that from a few other people, too. It really just comes down to sleep. I don't sleep enough. So my immune system is always kind of not at 100%. So I tend to get lots of different, you know, throat infections and colds and little things throughout the year, little viral things. Because I just don't sleep enough. And I don't have a remedy for that. I know it's easy to just go, well, then sleep more. But my schedule is so strange and so all over the place that it really is hard for me to cobble together a decent night's sleep on a regular basis. Especially, I mean, some of it's mental. You know, some of it's like I spend all day from 7 till about 10.30, you know, working on things and doing things for other people and generally just being like, you know, the editor-in-chief of a site and a father and a husband and trying to maintain a home and maintain a very sort of entrepreneurial career that I've established for myself. So it's very demanding. It takes a lot of time. But then at 10.30, when my wife goes to bed and the kids have been in bed for now a couple of hours, which in theory should be when I go to sleep and, you know, get the rest to start it all over again in the morning, that tends to be where mentally that little voice kicks in where it's like, dude, Now's your chance to do whatever you want to do. You've spent all day doing all this other stuff, trying to keep the wheels turning and juggling all these different balls and spinning all these different plates. Now it's 1030. Now it's time for you to do some gaming or time for you to catch up on one of the 79 things on your watch list. So I end up staying up way too late at night and then waking up exhausted the next day and the cycle just repeats and repeats itself. So maybe I should just be a grown-up and put myself to bed at 10.30. But then I worry I would start getting kind of resentful and grumpy and grouchy and disgruntled and not want to do all the stuff that I do every day. You know, so it, it, it's a tough balancing act. And that tends to be why I end up being sick. Don't worry, I don't have any kind of disorder or anything. My immune system is just constantly under attack because it's always under-rested and under-equipped. But um, okay, enough of that. Uh, some quick housekeeping things before we get into uh, the meat and potatoes of today's show. Um, I got a couple new reviews. And as you guys know, I always tend to read the reviews live on the air for you and give you a thank you for doing so. Because right now I am at 55 perfect five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. And I just have to start off right off the bat just by thanking you all. Thanking everyone and anyone who's taken the time to... Give me the five stars and write a couple of nice words. It really just means a lot, and it's it's really what motivates all this to keep going. 
So anyway, I got two new reviews since we last spoke, so let's delve into them, shall we? First one is from Apple user Batman SRW. Don't know what SRW stands for, but uh, Batman says, uh, chatting at the shop is what he calls the review. He wrote, I came across Mario when Justice League came out. I was new to podcasts, so had no clue what to expect. I've listened to every show since. When Mario talks, I find myself talking aloud because I feel so comfortable listening to him. As a lifelong comic book reader, the best part of this fandom is the community. I agree, by the way. Uh, and Mario feels like I'm just chatting it up in the comic book store with a fellow fan. As someone who's looking to get into the blogger slash podcast community, he sets the bar high. Never pushy, always respectful, a true representation of geek culture. Like, wow. I mean, thank you, Batman SRW. That's beautiful. Uh, I really appreciate that. The next one comes from user Matt Gway. How you doing, Matt? Uh, Matt Gway, Matt Gway. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. Um, it said, the quintessential podcast for fandom. I think it's fandom. I'm not sure. It, it, it ends in dot, dot, dot. They cut him off. They cut you off, Matt. Anyway, uh, what he wrote was... I listen to a lot of superhero movie podcasts due to a long work commute, and this is by far the one I would recommend most. The passion, enthusiasm, and positivity displayed by Mario is unmatched and sorely needed. He also has a knack for putting things into perspective with personal stories. Thanks for doing this, and keep it up, man. Well, I will, Matt. I'm going to keep it right on up. Um... You know, I got some, speaking of being positive, you know, I'm feeling very positive this week. Um, you know, I, I've been thinking about what's going on over in DC Entertainment and the fact that we're finally entering that new chapter. Remember, all, all year I've been writing reports and I've been talking about it here on this show that Walter Hamada and the new leadership over at DC Entertainment, there's, you know, their primary focus has been less on relitigating the past and talking about, you know, what happened with Zack Snyder and talk about the way the studio messed up Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad and all the drama with Justice League. You know, rather than go back and shine a spotlight on that stuff, they've really just been full throttle towards the future. And, you know, all this talk of the future keeps stalling out because there hasn't been anything on the immediate horizon for us to look forward to. You know, we know Aquaman's coming. We know Shazam's coming and Wonder Woman 1984 and Joker and all that good stuff. But really, you know, that's all. It's always kind of been off in the distant future. Oh, it's going to be good one day. Well, you know what, folks? It hit me this week. We are in November. We are a month away from the arrival of Aquaman. And the mood is jubilant. You know, last week, uh, James Wan tweeted out that Aquaman is completely finished. It's done. All the effects, the scoring, the special effects, like everything is done. The film in its finished edit is basically now just sitting in a vault somewhere waiting to get sent out to theaters for us to enjoy. And so I've been like, did you see those amazing international posters that got released a couple days ago? We covered them on the site. They're beautiful. They look like comic books come to life. The colors are beautiful. The way the characters are represented is like regal and majestic. And it just looks like this is going to be a big time movie. And a couple days ago, there were some screenings, hell, where fans got to see the movie and, you know, in sort of secret. 
And uh, the buzz, everything I'm hearing is very positive. And I even reached out to a source of mine over at Warner Brothers. I'm like, is that, how is everything going over there? I didn't ask you. I didn't imply things were good or bad. I was just like, what's, what's the temperature over at, at WB right now? And they say that the mood is really, really positive. The mood is really like, you know, everyone can't wait to unveil this movie for us. And the feedback they're getting from these fan screenings is very positive. And they've been watching the movie and they're happy with how it's come together. There's just this sense of like hope and optimism. That to me is very exciting. And it means that we're finally there. Rather than talking about DC's future, we are at the beginning of it now. Because with the promotional tour and the promotional marketing, everything now starting to take off for Aquaman with these new posters and, you know, there's going to be new TV spots and the actors and actresses are going to start doing interviews on The Tonight Show and all that sort of good stuff. Like now we are moving full steam into Aquaman and into the new era, into the DCU 2.0. It is finally upon us and it is apparently going to kick off in a big positive way with Aquaman. So if you're a DC fan, you've got to be excited right now. I know even if you're burnt out on what happened last year, what's gone on these last two years, really, you know, now is a time for unity. This is a call for unity. And something I wrote about earlier this week on RevengeOfTheFans.com, if you haven't read it yet, I strongly recommend it. I wrote a piece called No, Aquaman Can't Save the DCU That Doesn't Need Saving, But Here's What It Can Save. And what I spoke about there in greater detail than I'm about to sort of summarize here is that, first of all, there's no saving the DCU. And I know some people have been like, oh, what are you talking about? It's in shambles. It's in this. It's in that. Listen, it's not going anywhere. They are continuing to produce these movies. Warner Brothers, there is no fear whatsoever, not even a possibility, not even a glimmer that if Aquaman falters, they're just going to pull the plug on everything. No, DC continues no matter what. So the DCU does not need to be saved. It is surviving, it is evolving, and it is going to continue on. What is at stake with Aquaman, and kind of a, a good reason for unity here, is the existing canon. They're going to look at this, and this is based on conversations I've had with insiders. This is not just me spitballing, okay? They are looking at Aquaman to see how people respond to the fact that it's a new, fresh movie, but it is sort of still steeped in some of the Zack Snyder's you know, uh, iconography. Because remember, he cast Jason Momoa. He cast Amber Heard. He's the one who introduced us to these characters through Batman v Superman, through Justice League. You know, So his fingerprints are still evident. And his sort of polarizing old DC films are all sort of, you know, they're in the DNA of this. So Warner Brothers is extremely curious to see how people take to that. You know, so here's how you should look at it. If the film does really, really well, which I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. I know I've sort of harped on the fact that December 21st is kind of a nightmare of a date because of how crowded it is and how busy it is and all the competition. But there really is not a lot of reasons to doubt this movie. So assuming that it does really well, they're going to continue on their path of going, okay, there is enough goodwill amongst the general audience and amongst the DC fandom for us to continue onward in terms of picking and choosing what worked from these last few years and like and throwing out the things that we don't think worked, the, the things that you know our market research has said was a failure. 
You know, so if it does well, we'll kind of continue on this path of picking and choosing and retconning certain things and keeping certain things. If the movie fails, what's going to happen is they are going to really cut with anything that's left over from the Zack Snyder days. Basically, unless your name is Gal Gadot, because they've already made Wonder Woman 1984, and they're still in the process of making it, and the first film was a huge success, so she's 100% safe. And unless your name is Margot Robbie who we already know they're investing a lot in the little Harley Quinn universe. And yes, that's not necessarily a Zack Snyder product, but it's from the Zack Snyder era, from that era of the DCEU, as some still call it. Unless your name is Margot or Gal, everything's going to get questioned. Everything is going to get moved beyond. I, you know, like We might not get an Aquaman sequel if this movie doesn't do well, which is sort of obvious, right? But even like Ezra Miller's you know, participation in The Flash will be up in the air if this film fails. So that's really all that's at stake. If the film fails, which I don't see how it could, um, they're going to look at anything that's from the original sort of run of these DCEU movies and go, all right, we need to like create as much distance between us and that era as possible. So that's really all that's at stake. The DCU will continue to thrive. They're just, it's going to help It's going to help inform what parts of the canon and the continuity they want to keep and what they want to throw out. That's all that's really at stake. So, the reason that this is a good call for unity, though, is for those of you who wanted to boycott this movie in support of Snyder, that's actually counterintuitive because you want this movie to do well. If a movie with one of Zack Snyder's actors in a, in a prominent DC role does well, that's going to tell the studio that there wasn't too much damage done by the Snyder era, that the Snyder era can live on in some way, shape, or form. Whereas if it fails, they're going to go, okay, all the Snyder stuff has got to go aside from Gal and, and, and Margot. We're going to put as much distance with that period as possible because people obviously don't like it. It, it, it's, it poisoned the well on Justice League. It poisoned the well on Aquaman, and we don't want to do it anymore. Okay, so if you're thinking about boycotting, a you know it was it, it was always an ill-advised decision, but now taking into account the fact that the studio is going to look at this and it's going to help them and it's going to help inform how much they're doing, you know what they're keeping, what they're not, you kind of it's kind of up it's the onus is on you to support this movie, assuming you want to. By the way, you know if the trailers haven't sold you, I'm not going to go see a movie. I'm not going to tell you to go see a movie that you're not interested in. But if the movies, if it looks interesting to you and you are a fan of the Snyder canon and continuity and overall, you know, what he brought to the table, it behooves you to support this movie and for all of us to come together. Because that's really what I want. You know, a big part of my sort of way of reinventing myself this year and moving away from being snarky and sarcastic and combative with people I disagreed with within the DC fandom is me realizing it's much more important to me to see us all come together than to have us at each other's throats. You know, I, I think that's bad for the fandom. And, I, and listen, I love a good healthy debate. I think within a fandom, it's good to decide whether or not, you know, I like this movie, you didn't like this movie, what is it you liked, and let's have those conversations. That's the exciting stuff. But what's gone on in the last year and a half is like, it's gotten really venomous and really sort of toxic. 
where like the Snyder fans feel like they're constantly under attack by the people who don't like Snyder and the people who don't like Snyder feel like the Snyder fans are part of like this cult and they look at them like they're this sort of gross, volatile entity. And like that to me is just sad because at the end of the day, we all love the same thing. We all want the same thing, which is a thriving cinematic DC universe. So in my heart of hearts, all of us getting on the same page is probably the greatest thing that could happen. And I think now is the time to do it. DC is turning the page. It's time for all of us to join them on that new page. Now is a time for the, the, the non-Snyder DC fans and the Snyder DC fans to come together and see what seeds he planted will grow, continue to grow on and what exciting new other ways the franchise continues to evolve. So I'm excited, you know, and it was nice hearing from someone who works for the studio that, you know, they, they wouldn't like spill details because there's still kind of this element of looking over your shoulder. They really are trying to cut down on leaks over there. Um, but it was nice to hear them go, listen, I can't say much, but there's a lot of really cool stuff going on over here. And people are very excited about sharing Aquaman with the world. I'm like, all right, then say no more. Yeah, I don't even need any scoops this week. I don't need any insider intel. Just knowing that they're feeling good and that people are seeing the movie and loving it, that's all I need to hear. So that's kind of my positive update for the week on what's going on with Aquaman. Now, it's sort of in the middle, more sort of like in the neutral territory, is it's notable. If you combine all the different stories together... There is something interesting going on with the DC slate right now. And I don't know what it is. So I can't say if it's good. I can't say if it's bad. I can't say if you should be worried. I can't say if you should be excited. But if you go bit by bit in the last month or so, lots of different things have sort of come together to tell you that something is up. Okay, so let's recap a little bit. We heard that The Flash is seeing a production delay, which is something I've been talking about here for a couple of months since the beginning of September. Um, so, but ultimately it became official that it's getting a bit of a production delay, which is not really anything to worry about because it never had a release date to begin with. But their tentative plans had to get moved a little bit because they're still tweaking the script. So that happened, right? Then there's the fact that I started hearing, and others too, that Batman... You know, even though it's it was said to start filming next spring by Mr. Matt Reeves, which is spring of 2019, so the logical sort of you know expectation would be that the Batman would come out in 2020 at some point. I'm hearing it's more likely 2021 and possibly even longer than that. So that's kind of interesting and unique. So that's something that happened with the Flash, something that happened with the Batman. Then there was the news last week, or two weeks ago at this point, I'm not sure, about Wonder Woman 1984 getting moved out of, I think it was supposed to be uh, like November or December of 2019, and it's now coming out in June of 2020. Again, I don't know that there's anything for us to be worrying about there, but it's notable. Those are three different DC movies that are in some stage of development that are now coming out a little bit later that are, it seem to be getting some additional work done on them. And at least this time it's happening, unlike with Justice League, where it happened after the film had already shot. 
uh, it's happening now while the while the projects are still coming together. We know Wonder Woman was still amidst principal photography. So whatever it is that they're doing there, they're doing it now as part of the filmmaking process, not like afterward in post trying to tweak things, you know. So that's promising. And then this week we found out about another one. This week we found out that Shazam, you know, it, at first it was scheduled for just a couple of weeks of what was considered to be just your average run-of-the-mill reshoots and pickups that all these kinds of movies go through. Now we find out, the rumor on the street, is that it's actually going to be more like a month's worth, that they've sort of extended the amount of reshoots. So that's interesting. And it's just something I want us all to sort of keep in our minds over the course of these next few months as we try to figure out what it is that's going on. Because right now, like, mum's the word. I've been trying to get the dirt, trying to get the intel on why all of these things seem to be happening all around the same time, which tells me it can't just be a coincidence. But nobody's talking. Nobody's talking. So I, 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 I'm not here to tell you whether it's good or bad, but it's something that's worth noting, that all of these different DC projects are kind of, you know, the, the, there's some sort of tinkering that has begun on all of them all at, a, at, at this sort of early stage. Some of them are in production. Some of them are in pre-production. So let's see what comes of that. Let's see if in a couple of years, once we've seen these movies, we could trace it all back to fall of 2018 when some sort of decision was made. Because something, I have a feeling that something happened behind the scenes. Some sort of choice was made. Walter Hamada sat down with the directors and told them X, Y, or Z. And that's why all these productions are now getting a little extra time to kind of reach their full potential and maybe fit within some sort of unified vision. You know, I don't know. But we'll see. And all of these things, even though they're reported a couple of weeks apart, it's important for all of us and for you guys, my listeners, my watchers, my readers, I want you to file this stuff away in the back of your mind so we can revisit it in a year's time. After we've seen Aquaman and Shazam and Joker, maybe we'll have some sort of semblance of an idea of why all these different movies kind of got pushed into some stage of redevelopment in the middle of their production cycles. All right? It's just something to think about. Um, and just something I wanted to touch on, sort of a, a sidestep before I bring on today's guest, which, by the way, I'm very excited about. But we'll get, we'll get on that in a second. Um, yesterday, they announced that Diego Luna... Mexican actor Diego Luna, who I once interviewed back when he directed uh, Chavez, Cesar Chavez with Michael Pena, who's Diego is like a really cool, really like bubbly, excited, passionate dude. And I remember sitting across from him at the boardroom table and he's talking to me about all his ideas for the movie and what he hoped to infuse in that movie, which to me was criminally underrated. I enjoyed Chavez quite a bit. Um, But anyway, so I have a soft spot for Mr. Luna. I think he's I think he's a great talent. And he's going to be back. He's returning to Star Wars as his character Cassian Andor from Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. He's getting his own prequel TV series on Disney+. Plus, Which, by the way, Disney+, Plus is such a much better name than Disney Play for the streaming service. But um, I'm excited about this because I, I, I remember it was intriguing to people back when Rogue One came out. Because it was thought of to be this standalone experience that several of the actors had actually signed deals for multiple pictures. 
you know, obviously the, the big headline was about uh, Felicity Jones, about the fact that even though her character, spoiler alert, you know, passed away at the end of Rogue One, that she was still signed on for future Star Wars appearances. And people were wondering how would that be? Would they make a prequel to Rogue One or whatever? Now it's sort of coming into focus, isn't it? That there must have been something in the wording of these Lucasfilm contracts and these Marvel contracts, by the way, since it's all owned by Disney, that meant that maybe it'll be for sequel movies or maybe it'll be for TV series with these characters. So now we're starting to see that bear fruit. Now we're starting to see why these contracts had clauses for additional appearances. And it looks like there was wiggle room on what kind of additional appearances they can be. So it makes you wonder, like, what other, you know, characters we've seen in these Star Wars stories are going to get their own shows or could potentially get their own shows? You know, like once Amelia Clark is done with Game of Thrones, are we going to see her Kira back and have more of that Darth Maul? You know, Ray Park is back and all that sort of stuff. Like, are we going to see more of that? In theory, could Disney Plus announce next week that they're bringing in Donald Glover and doing a Young Lando TV series? It sounds like they could, you know, so that's, and you know, and you know that they have the, you know, they also announced, they, they confirmed that Loki's getting his own show, you know, Tom Hiddleston will return, which I'm a little mixed on, but it's okay. Um, and also last week they announced Winter Soldier and Falcon and all this sort of stuff. So it's intriguing to think that all of these players from the cinematic universes that are Marvel and Star Wars are now being brought to TV. It shows you like now they're kind of moving into like the next phase of things. You know, you kind of felt like they, they've been sort of slowly growing these properties with spin-offs and prequels and sequels and all this sort of stuff. And now they're going to bring it over into the next phase where there will be TV series of these characters as well with the actors who play them in the movies. So that's kind of exciting. You know, and by the way, that tells me, you know, for all the concerns about Marvel television, and how little it actually connects to the movies, even though that was the initial promise. You know, back in 2008, when the Marvel Cinematic Universe launched, we started hearing about how it's all connected. And then as the years have gone on, we're all like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're, they're superficially connected. You know, like when Winter Soldier and Agents of, she of S.H.I.E.L.D. connected for a little while, that was pretty cool. But as time has gone on, we've seen with all these shows, Cloak and Dagger and The Runaways and the Marvel Netflix shows, the connections are like not really any, they're not there. Um, I have a feeling though that that promise of an interconnected film and television universe is only going to be true for these Disney Plus series, which, you know, I guess that's a decent compromise. It would be nice if it really was all one universe and Matt Murdock. You know, Charlie Cox's amazing Matt Murdock was in the same universe as Sebastian Stan's Winter Soldier or in the same universe as Tom Holland's Peter Parker and Kingpin can pop up in a Spider-Man movie. It'd be nice if all these things were true, but I wonder how you'd feel about that. If, if it comes to pass that the Disney plus Marvel series end up being the only ones that are directly connected to the movies, are you okay with that? Let me know. Tweet at me about it at I underscore am underscore MFR. I'd love to know what you think of that. Um, and in general, just back to Star Wars, like I'm excited. You know, Mandalorian sounds really good. It's right up my alley. 
this Cassian Andor series starring Diego Luna is right up my alley. I'm very excited to see what you know what else is coming and what other characters might get mined to tell some more stories. So um, this is all true. But all right, now at last, it is time for me to bring on my distinguished guest for episode 79 of the Fanboy Podcast. I'm very excited to have him on. He's someone I've been hearing about a lot for the last year or so. Uh, we seem to have a lot in common, and he's someone who, whenever he tweets, whenever he pu- shares a column, I tend to read it, and I tend to give him one of these. I tend to think, yeah, right on. I agree with this guy a lot. And uh, I've been dying to have him on the show. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to bring on Mr. Zaki Hassan. All right. So here I am at last with Mr. Zaki Hassan. I've been hearing about you for so long. We've had a couple of interactions on Twitter. And I've always heard that we, you know, we, we run in similar circles and have similar feelings about similar, uh, should I say, certain superheroes, which we're about to get into. And uh, at last, I have you on the Fanboy Podcast. How you feeling, Zachy? I'm I'm honored and excited. Thank you so much for for inviting me. Yeah, I, I I've been looking forward to this, and finally, sort of the stars aligned because there's a lot of reason <laughs> to talk about Superman lately, and also I've been thinking a lot about you know film film critique and i know you just made it onto rotten tomatoes so congratulations for that thank you thank you so much yeah so this is kind of like perfect a perfect time to have you on and also you know you've just joined birth movies death is that correct yeah i just had a uh, my first uh, freelance piece published for them uh, just a couple days ago about uh, superman yeah and that's why it's like it's like perfect and it's a great (laughs) it's a great place to start i read the piece uh, for those of you who haven't yet, it's called Say Something Nice, right? And it's about Superman 4. Yeah. Right? And I love that you wrote about that movie because that movie really was like my introduction to the cinematic Superman. Because I was like okay. four, yeah, I was like four when it came out. And my wow. mom took me to see it. And I, I kind of credit that movie with both my love of Superman and my love of just going to the movies and, and, and the magic of movie making. <laughs> so it's How fitting. Funny. Yeah. Um, so you did something really interesting that I really appreciated because a lot of people like to dog on that movie because it's, you know, it's, the, 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 there's plenty of reasons to mock it, of course. It is what it is. It is what it is. But you did a really <laughs> nice job sort of bringing in some of the history of the project, sort of where Christopher Reeve had to make some compromises that I'm not sure people realized and pointing towards one of the beautiful things that it did, you know, one of the beautiful Superman moments within it. So yeah. do you mind sharing some of that with us? Like, what was that moment that you highlighted? I don't want to say it for you, but oh, that sure. moment well, towards I, the end. Yeah, so so the film itself is uh, the result of Christopher Reeve being very concerned about the Cold War and the nuclear arms race, which, uh, you know, we thought those days were behind us, but hey, you know, I guess what's what's past is yeah. prologue, right? We're, we're Superman now. Uh, <laughs> and... And so the film culminates in Superman sort of making this realization that, well, he can't, uh, you know, make us make peace. We have to do it on our own. And I think, uh, you know, it's so perfectly reflected in Superman standing at the quote unquote UN. (laughs) Yeah. The, the low-budget uh, uh, UN that the movie could come up with. And essentially saying that, he says, he says uh, peace was never mine to give. There will be peace, and you know I, I have it memorized, there will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their leaders have no choice but to give it to them. 
I only wish you could see the world the way I see it, because when you really look at it, it's just one world. And you have all that right, committed to memory, and this is why you're already one of my favorite people. <laughs> um, well, you know, you brought up an interesting question, by the way, as you prefaced that, where you said, you know, where's Superman now? Yeah. And with that quote in particular and where we are in today's society, it's like, yeah, where is Superman now? Mm. And, you know, it, it's it's sort of sad what's happened, in, at least in terms of like of the movies. Because, listen, he lives on in comic books and the other mediums. And it's probably it's perhaps most important he lives on as a comic book person because that's where, you know, that's, that's where the character comes from. But in terms of the movies, you know, it, th these last couple of years, it's been a tough time to be a Superman fan. Yeah. And right now it looks like we're heading into like the Phantom Zone again, where we don't know when we're going to get another Superman movie. And Henry Cavill's future seems heavily in doubt if he's unlikely to don the red cape again. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about where Superman is in pop culture and how badly we need him, it makes me very sad. Yeah. But, um, you know, like, wh wh what do you think about, like, where we're at right now, about the fact that there may not be a Superman movie again for a bunch of years and it's probably going to be another reboot? Like, how are you feeling with the current state of Superman on film or the lack thereof? Well, I mean, it is disappointing, whichever way you look at it. You know, I, I think, obviously, we look at the the Snyder trilogy, I guess we can call it, you know, an, an abortive trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and and like or dislike what he did, and I'm I'm of mixed opinion on on the totality of those films. I think Henry Cavill. Most people would agree that Henry Cavill was, uh, you know, chiseled out of rock to play <laughs> Superman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he. What I said at the time Man of Steel came out was he's the first actor since Chris Reeve to make me. I just look at him and I see Superman. He's not trying to yeah. embody Christopher Reeve, you know. And and so, it is disappointing, but. Uh, I I feel like there have been so many missteps. I think, and and boy, I'm diving into this, and I know I'm gonna probably regret it. Do it on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I think Batman v Superman was just fundamentally a misstep, and it was it was it was made reactively because you know for all the talk of like oh so this Zack Snyder planned it out and he had five movies whatever, which I, I'll take at his word maybe that was the plan, but I think. Uh, the the opportunity after Man of Steel was to build out the universe first, mm -hmm. the Superman universe yeah. first, and really make those foundations solid. And then, yes, by all means, do the Batman team up, do the versus movie. I don't. I mean, I, I personally would have preferred something more along the lines of of the world's finest animated movie, where you have these characters team up rather mm -hmm. than you know. Uh, but again, separate separate conversation. I, I ultimately I think uh, Batman versus Superman is what killed uh, this version of the character. I mean, I can't say I disagree with you, and I, I in fact I vehemently agree with you that <laughs> world's finest probably would have been you know that 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 would have definitely spoken more to me. Like that's the type of fan I am, and it's good to hear yeah. that's the type of fan you are because you know I feel like. Yeah, you know, there's always been multiple kinds of fans, obviously. You know, I'm just stating sure. the obvious. But, like, there's some who want to see Batman and Superman at each other's throats, and there's some who just want to see them team up. Because, you know, those fights have always gone on. Like, who would win in a fight? Oh, well, if Batman had kryptonite arrows. And, you know, like, it feels like middle school stuff. But those yeah. conversations have always been there. 
But overall, like, you know, that that's just, it's never appealed to me. In any medium, yeah. the idea of seeing them fight, like I, I've always described the, the, the fight in BVS. It's like watching my dad hit my mom. It's like, I, this feels <laughs> wrong. Sure. You, you know, when he, when Batman smashes a kitchen sink over Superman's head, like I'm not cheering. I'm not yeah. going, oh, what an awesome fight. I'm like, this is horrible. This is a desecration of yeah. what I wanted to see these characters do. I've, in some way, shape, or form, I've spent my life looking forward to a movie like this, this movie to finally happen. Yeah. And this was not, you know, what I pictured. But, you know, I don't I don't necessarily want to relitigate that case, you know, at, at this point. For real. Is, <laughs> we're moving past that. I'm sure there's people who are like, oh, is this what this is going to be? Zachy and Mario trashing the <laughs> Batman v Superman. No, we're not. We're and, not. And, and let me let me say, <laughs> I, I there are people I know and I respect who passionately love that movie. Yeah. And honestly, I, I love that they love it. And I'm being, that's not me being, uh, I'm not uh, yeah. being, uh, you know, cynical about or it. passive aggressive. No, or, patri- yeah. yeah, I, I you know, that's great. Great. I all I can say is I wish I did. I wish I liked. I said it. the same thing. I, I'm jealous of you. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people like you know, like I, I don't get mad when people disagree about the movie. I'm jealous. If anything, I'm like I wish I walked away with the feelings you have. You know, and I and I'm not mad at you for having them. Anytime, especially when people say like I didn't love Superman until I saw Man of Steel and his continued arc in BVS. A lot of people say that that like up until that point they didn't care about Superman. So when I hear that like these films acted as a gateway for a new generation of Superman fans, I'm like wonderful. The more the merrier. Everyone come in. You know, to me that's important. And I you know I, I spoke a little earlier in this episode about just unity. You know, just about now is a time where I'm hoping with Aquaman and the other stuff that's coming, we can come together, you know, because I'm tired of this, like this. this Fingers crossed. Right. Fingers (laughs) crossed. You know, all this sort of tribalism that's coming to fandom is really just sort of worrying for me. Because when I think about what we do, I think about our love for these characters and these mediums. I think about this is supposed to be the good stuff. This is the stuff that greases the wheels on your life. Or at the end of a long, crappy day, you get to go and talk about Superman and Batman with fellow fans. Like, that's exciting. This should be the happy stuff. And all of this, like, at each other's throats, us versus them. And if you don't like this movie, then you're the enemy. And I'm just so over all that stuff. And I I, want to see us come together. I, I, I tweeted something earlier this year, and I was just like, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but in 2018, we got Black Panther and and Deadpool and Cable and Thanos versus the whole Marvel Universe <laughs> and Aquaman. Are you kidding me? In like 1990 or 92 or 95 yeah. or 2000, could we have even imagined this? Like, yeah. we're, we're, we're soaking in riches. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Fine, if you don't like one pick one this is amazing what a time you know yeah and just in general like people it seems to feel this tendency of like i have to choose one or the other i have to go well if i like this brand that i have to hate that one it's like no just love them all if you want or you know love some more than others but why does there have to be this us versus them mentality yeah everything is west side story you know people are I know, I know. Um, But we just took a detour into show tunes. This is a good chat. Okay, anyway, um, I want to bring it back, though, to Superman, though, in terms of like where he's at right now. Because, Mm. you know, I wonder, like, in theory, a beautiful Superman movie would 
give us a message of love and hope and optimism and hopefully bring some people together. You know what I mean? Right now, you know, the best films, the best bits of pop art are the kinds that sort of, you know, they, they, they go beyond just the trappings of a movie. They actually start a conversation or they get you thinking about life differently or, you know, they, they, to me that that's what these movies can be. Sure. But I wonder, like, with Superman in particular, with the way people look at him nowadays, it's like he's outdated and he's too perfect and he's a Boy Scout and it's unrealistic. Like, do you think that we're too jaded or too cynical nowadays to accept a pure Superman? Uh, you know, I would say that if we didn't have uh, uh, Chris Evans as Captain America, mm. yeah, who who is who is the. Uh, out of all the characters in the MCU, I look at uh, the Captain America we have, and he's the purest distillation of the comic book version. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know what? He is old-fashioned. He is a Boy Scout. That's what those movies are about. Those movies circle around the idea that that's what is worth uh, striving towards, mm -hmm. right? You you certainly don't come away from any movie with Captain America and it being like, oh. How lame, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. my my kids, they love Captain America. They dressed. I had two two of my kids were Captain America. For nice. <laughs> oh wow. Right. All right. And, were they at least what, different types of Captain America? They were the same. They were okay. I had one. Right. One had like the movie version. One had the comic book version. You're doing I'm something like, right. right. You're doing something right. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I keep going. No, but but I mean that that's what Superman is. So I I think this this idea that oh we need to change Superman to to reflect darker times and stuff. Well, Superman should exist in contrast to those darker times. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think and and again going back to I see what what Zack Snyder was trying to do with with Batman versus Superman. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, pondering those questions: Must yeah. there be Superman? You have Charlie Rose at the beginning and that yeah. whole. You know, I, I think there's there's room for that. I just Absolutely. feel like I just feel like the cement was too wet. Yeah, we weren't there yet. We weren't there yet. We weren't you there know? yet. And I, th I think that was the mistake. So so we didn't have, you know, um, my friend Michael Bailey, who's who's about as big of a Superman fan as it's possible to be. He he talked about his response to Man of Steel, which he, I like that movie more than he did. But he said something that I, I think is very apt. He said he said that the problem he had with that movie is that. It basically, in addition to being the world's introduction to Superman, it's the world's introduction to aliens, it's the world's introduction to just alien carnage. Yeah. And that's just too much to put all on Superman's shoulders. Wow. I got to speak to this Michael guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, and, and that is, uh, that was the most apt summation, which I hadn't considered, but it's absolutely right, because it fundamentally alters how the world perceives Superman, where mm -hmm. he arrives not at, you know, you have the movie itself being like, you'll give him a light to follow, et cetera, et cetera. And how and, nice but, would that have been? That's exactly right. We got there by the end of Justice League. Yeah. But that's, I mean, honestly, you needed to get there sooner. And, and again, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not sorry, trying to, like, Snyder shuffle, fans. I'm sorry, I'm not but <laughs> shuffle dirt on the on the corpse here. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think that says something, right? I think oh, I, I think that people people have expectations of a Superman movie, and those expectations are not, oh, I want a carbon copy of what Richard Donner mm -hmm. uh, and Richard Lester did, which is always Clearly the assumption, by the way. And it's like, no, like you and I, I, I can't speak for you, but no, I know for me, I didn't want a carbon copy of the Reeve Superman. I want, I, I went into Man of Steel all three times I saw it, by the way, but probably only for the first, where like I walked in wanting something new. I, I was excited to see this reinvention of the Superman myth. Absolutely. But but people are always quick to go, oh no, you just wanted Donner again. It's like, 
No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I and I mean, if anything, you know, we we got the, the a reiteration of the Donner ethos to some mm-hmm. extent with Superman Returns and and that was flawed in its yeah. own way. Yeah. No, I, I I think this is the problem. I mean, I people people uh certainly online really go after Jeff Johns. I actually think Jeff Johns is the guy to hand Superman yeah. to. I, yeah. I think he's got to I do agree. it. I mean, most, most of my favorite modern books are written by Jeff Johns. You might, my, my yeah. favorite modern Superman books. Yeah. And, like, and his handle on Superman is, is bang on, you know, yeah. for me, it's, it's between him and Mark Wade for who I totally. feel like in the last, you know, 20 years has really nailed Superman. You know, I totally agree. Um, yeah. But something I was thinking about, too, I'm glad you brought up Superman Returns, where it feels like it's been all extremes with the way he's approached by Warner Brothers. You know, the, these last couple times that they've attempted to get Superman out of mothballs, where in 06, it was very low on spectacle. It was very high on like general like emotion and romance and nostalgia. But there wasn't a lot of spectacle. You know what I mean? Aside right. from like he got shot in the eye and that was a cool visual when the bullet bounced yeah. off him. And then he has like some of those rescues there in Metropolis. And then he throws a big rock into the outer space. But right. like, you know, we didn't get to see him tussle with a super powered being. We didn't get, you know, it was kind of low on spectacle and high on sort of contemplative navel gazing, so to speak, you know? what i mean yeah and then man of steel was like oh yeah you want spectacle (laughs) bam you know what i mean like it felt like it went the opposite way we're like which you know and by the way like you know my feelings on that film are also sort of mixed you know i'm a i'm a i'm a big proponent of of saying that like i think it's two-thirds the best superman it was some of the best superman storytelling i've ever seen and one-third just a complete desecration of what the character should be yeah, I, I speak a little uh, hyperbolic at times. Sue me. Well, it it does descend into disaster yeah. porn by the end, you know. And, and, and all and this it, promise it, of the first hour and a half just flies out the window. Yeah, you know? I totally agree. But it's about finding that balance, and just like when you mentioned, like with Chris Evans, you know, Captain America, I feel like the the proper balance here in terms of just how to tell a Superman story in today's day and age is to keep him pure. But yeah. put him in a world that has been morally compromised. Put yeah. him in a society that's lost its identity and you make a young Clark trying to figure out how do I inspire these people to not be so against each other all the time? How do I be a change for good? And in the meantime, and then you can mix in otherworldly threats and things into that and make it allegorical. But like you got to keep Superman pure. And I feel like too much time was spent trying to make him brooding and, you know, I don't know, he, he doubting himself and insecure of his place in the world and people hating him and kind of like Michael Bailey said, introducing him to the world in the form of like a giant tragedy. You know, the day he yeah. arrived was technically the worst day that's ever happened on the earth. Right. You know, that's a harsh way to introduce him. So in that regard, saying goodbye to the Cavill Superman, while bittersweet to do so, you can almost kind of understand where they're coming from. Or like maybe at this point, he was already off uh, to, to such a faulty start that to continue from here was going to always have to apologize for the past. Yeah. Maybe that's too much to put on a, on a new you know filmmaker for a Superman movie. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, if if Justice League would have performed, then we'd be having a very mm-hmm. different conversation. I mean, that's just the fact. So clearly, Justice League, you know, for whatever Frankenstein version of a movie yeah. they ended up with, they were trying to course correct, and 
it just people clear the reaction to Justice League is a response to what people saw with Batman versus Superman. I don't know how there's no other way to spin that. Yeah. Clearly yeah. people sampled the character twice and it just it wasn't it wasn't working for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, we just say all right, well this is this is the hand we've been dealt. There we're probably not going to continue that version of the universe as it exists. So yeah. fine, okay. Uh, so in that sense, am I am I upset? Yeah, you know, it, it bums me out. I think Henry Cavill was was he deserved another shot. He, I would have deserved, loved to, he, you know. And he he wanted another shot, know. you know. Uh, but this is like you said. I mean, this is Superman. He's not he he might go into hibernation. He's not going away forever. Yeah. So you know, certainly uh, you know we've been around long enough. We've seen enough iterations of Superman on screen where you say, all right, well, give it a little time. You yeah. know, it'll all come back. You know, I think I think a lot of people get upset about a lot of stuff where I think uh, hopefully age adds a little bit of, of wisdom or you say, you know, and, yeah, yeah hope, hopefully in theory, you know, <laughs> yeah, in theory. Right. Um, what's interesting, though, is, you know, you mentioned like had Justice League done well, right? We wouldn't even yeah. be here. And that's something I always want to say to the people who look at people like you or I and try to blame us for what happened with those movies. Like, oh, it's because of critics and bloggers, whatever. I'm like, listen, if those movies made bank, no one would care about what we had to say. You know what I mean? It, it would not bottom. matter. You know, look, it, it, look at look at Venom. Look at yeah. uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, those movies are, are rated fresh as far as I know, you know? Yeah. I mean, actually, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is like just barely. It has like a 60 Just barely. Okay, but, there you go. But yeah, but like it shows like, you know, if people love the movies and it makes bank, Things continue on. It doesn't matter what the critics and the bloggers say. But what's interesting, though, and there's some nuances to that, because I do feel sometimes, and especially in sort of in the modern era of film critique that we're entering, I'm finding that it's happening more and more that critics judge a film based on what they wanted it to be rather than what it is. And I think yes. Batman v Superman suffered for some of that. You know what I mean? Even though I don't think it was a great film, especially the theatrical cut, I, I, I'm a bigger fan of the Ultimate Edition, which I think I, flows much better. Have you had a chance to see it? I've seen it, yeah. Um, but even aside from the fact that I think it's flawed, I do remember that there almost seemed to be this glee from the critic and blogger community to be like, who can put together the worst put down for this movie? Who can really trash this? You know, like, That's just how I feel. You know, you're I felt right. like after you're a while, right. like there, there, there was this sense of like, it's fun to trash this movie. Who can do it worse? And it's because yeah. people brought their expectations with them. They had in their mind's eye, kind of like what we did. You know, we, I would prefer a world's finest. So I'm going to watch yeah. this movie with a stick of my, you know, because it's not the yeah. movie. It's not how I would have done it. And, you know, I do think that BVS almost kind of acts as like, like, a, I don't know what to call it, but like it's a lightning rod for what's happened in terms of that, in terms of people are growing weary of critics now because yeah. of this sense of you're bringing way too much of your own expectations with you into the theater. Judge yeah. the film for what it actually is, as opposed to how you would have done it. You know, and I, I, I see that a lot, like, you know, with Bohemian Rhapsody, since that's like the new thing right now and you brought it up and I'm glad you did. I can't even tell you how many times I've come across this critique of, oh, well, it should have been this way. Oh, they should have gone, they should have told this part of Freddie Mercury's story, or it would have been better if they went this way. It's like, okay, I I understand that's your opinion, but that's just not the story that Brian Singer wanted to tell. That's not what the writers of the film wanted to tell. 
So yeah. is it fair for you to dock the movie points because they didn't make it the way that they didn't tell the story the way you wanted them to? You know, so th th that to me asks sort of more profound questions about the role of film critique, you know, and you well, as someone who is a critic, I'm, I want to get your, 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 your sense on that. It, it is a nuanced question, right? Because yeah. I think, and, and let me, let me couch this by saying I have not seen Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. yet. Although I, I am, after I get off the phone with you, I'm literally <laughs> going to see it. So, oh, okay. so I bought my ticket, so I'm, I'm going to see it. I, I missed the press screening yeah. for it. Um, it's tricky because because i think that if you're talking about a movie that depicts historical events then i don't think it's wrong to have some expectation of fidelity mm -hmm. to that if you're talking about a movie that's based on pre-existing material such as a novel or a comic book i don't think it's wrong to have expectations pertaining to that right so yeah. so there is it's it is silky right so so it when is. you say hey well i read the book and the book did this and the movie changed it and did that, and yeah. the movie's choice is worse. I don't think that's a wrong reaction, necessarily. Okay. okay. Right. Uh, that being said, I think it's you know what tends to happen more often than not is people have a whole alternative movie set up in their mm -hmm. head, mm -hmm. and, and you know, and and as a parallel uh, to to Batman versus Superman, you look at Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Yeah. So so now now I I love that movie. Yeah. And and a lot of people I know do not, which is fine. But a lot much of that that conversation is, oh, I wish it had been this, this, yeah. this. And it's and it's I get it. I totally get that. Right. Uh, so so I don't think you can necessarily shut that part of your brain off necessarily, you know, especially yeah. the, the more movies you watch, the more you're going to be like, well, why not do this instead? Or why not do you know, I, I get it. I, I just feel like. I think I think a critic's job is to definitely to judge the movie for what it is, but uh, uh, you know th these reactions are part of it, and I think I think a critic's job is to share it in a way that says, well, here's why it didn't work for me. Uh, the story was doing this when yeah. I feel like it would have been more effective to do this. Yeah, see, I, I have a hard time with that sort of stuff, you know, because I, I just feel like, and maybe you know, I, I'm being, I'm trying to be too like idealistically pure here maybe it's unrealistic but i just try to feel like when i tr when i go to see a movie i'm often trying to figure out what is the filmmaker going for here what is sure. their mission what is the through line that they're trying to convey and if i find that even though i would have done it differently they nailed what they were going for that i agree with you know what i mean yeah. i feel like well then you know it's not what i liked but you know what for what they were trying to do they did it you know, this is going to yes. be like a total random example because but, but, oh, go ahead. Uh, but Mario, here's the thing. If you didn't like it, yeah, you're not wrong for having that reaction. Right. So I think yeah. I think your job as a critic is to unpack your own reaction. So you say this is what the filmmaker was trying to do. I didn't walk out of the movie having, you know, enjoyed it or uh, felt uh, that it illuminated anything or feel, felt inspired. And and at least this is, this is how I approach it. Yeah. I, I walk out of theater and I'm like, how do I how did I feel? Yeah, uh, how did this movie make me feel? If I did not like it, let me figure it out. And so, yeah. you know, generally speaking, I know, I know, I have, I have colleagues who they'll watch a movie and they'll run home and write their review. And I'm like, I need it. To, I yeah. need to let, I, I need to let it ferment a little bit. Yeah, yeah, usually I need to do it at least the next morning because I need to sort of process how I felt about it. So, yeah. so you can have a filmmaker, you know, hit all their bases, and yet if I walked out unsatisfied, that's the reaction I have yeah. when I read. That's Does true. That make sense? 
Yeah, no, that, that, that does make sense. That does make sense. Um, because, because, because criticism is inherently subjective. I mean, we're yeah, trying to find, we try to find objective uh, lampposts to, to, to guide what we say, but ultimately it's a subjective reaction. And I always tell people this. I'm like, find a critic you like. Yeah. And follow them or find a handful that you like. And, you know, you'll get a sense. You know, I always use Roger Ebert as an example because when I was a kid, every Friday I would go to the Sun Times website. I would read yeah, Roger Ebert. Yeah, didn't, right? That was, yeah, that, it was a that religious was experience. Thing, you know? Yeah. And, and for me personally, you know, you had Siskel and Ebert. I tended to agree with Roger Ebert. So I would just be like, well, I want to know what Ebert said. Yeah. And yeah. I would hope, you know, if to whatever extent people read me, they'd be like, oh, I, I want to know what Zachy said yeah, because yeah, yeah. I've agreed with him about this or I've disagreed with him about that. You know, I I think this is a problem. Obviously, I'm a part of it now. I'm part of the problem. Yeah, you're part of but Rotten Tomatoes uh, now. You yeah. joined the enemy. No. <laughs> I'm part, I know. It, well, and this is the thing. It uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes is like the Yelpification. Yeah. Of, of film criticism and that's bothersome where yeah, people I, just I'm look going, at the percentage now they don't bother building a relationship with the individual critics that that's exactly right so you're looking at at numbers instead of words yeah and and that's deeply troubling for me because i've been writing film reviews for 20 plus years now wow. i have a body of work you know so i'm always like look at what i have said about other movies and then decide yeah. you know because you know what it, some people just aren't gonna agree with me about stuff and that's okay yeah uh, you know yeah I, I guess the, the the last thing i want to mention on this sort of subject just because it's an example and it's going to seem sort of random because the film hasn't been relevant in years but <laughs> but it was one of the first times where i felt myself get really defensive against critics who critique the film that's not in front of them the they don't critique what's there they critique what they wanted it to be and you remember that movie the interview with Seth Rogen and James yes. Franco, you know, and sure. it was this big sort of controversial thing because of the Sony hack scandal in North Korea trying to like to cyber terrorism to stop us from releasing it. And it was this whole, you know, you, yeah. you were treated as if you were like, you know, putting your life in your own hands if you went to go see it because there could be something right. at the theater, you know, whatever. What was interesting about that movie and some of the reviews I saw for it and a lot of the way it was received was that people like like knocked it for not being enough of a political satire. People after uh -huh. all that hype were going, oh yeah, they were expecting like the next Dr. Strangelove, you uh -huh. know, or they were expecting Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. You know, they, they were looking for something that was gonna have a lot to say about yeah. the geopolitical climate that we're living in. But the thing is, that was not what that movie was. That movie was yeah. a stoner comedy. That's you know, right. Even the trailers tell you that from the makers of Pineapple Express. Like this was right. not a hard hitting movie. You could tell <laughs> you can almost picture them passing the bong around going, would it be funny if we did a movie about us interviewing Kim Jong-un? <laughs> right. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Like that's all that was meant to be. So it should have been judged as a stoner comedy. Instead, yeah. I just saw review after review calling it toothless and it didn't go after its subject nearly hard enough and it didn't have mm -hmm. enough to say. And I'm like, that was one of the first times. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'd seen it before then. But uh, at that point, I remember reading those and I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Like, th yeah. that's unfair to the movie. That's unfair right. to everyone who worked so hard to put this movie together. Now you're piling on it and yelling at them over something that they had no control over. They were just trying to tell a stoner comedy. It's not their fault that things got went, you know, things went another way with all the controversy. 
you know, so yeah. that was just one of the first times where I really started paying attention to that. And that's why it's something that I'm particularly sensitive to when I see critics just, you know, they're they're reviewing the movie they wanted it to be rather yeah. than the movie itself. So I think it's just it, it's, I think that's it's, true. I think it's a tricky territory we're heading it's, in. There. It's a it's not as clear cut. That's that's there. There is sort of a you know, it's, it's a tightrope that you have to walk, you know, yeah. Uh, and it's funny though, because because the interview, I mean, gosh, I love that movie. I actually screen it in my class. I teach a class called Cultural Expression in Media, oh, nice. and I start with the interview because I say, let's look at this as a lens of how Americans view uh, North Korean culture. How yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think it has a lot to say, and I and I think yeah. you know, the world has sort of come around on that movie. You know? I hope. I mean, I haven't heard much about it since the you know since it was in theaters. And in general, I'm not here to like champion. You know, go see the interview right now. It's an important <laughs> film. But it's just you know as we're entering this world where you know like film critique and the Rotten Tomatoes and the Metacritics of the world and the way people are trying to figure out what our relationship is to critics and how we should who do we trust and who do we don't and who has an agenda and all this sort of stuff like you know i've just i've been thinking about this stuff a lot and i'm yeah. curious because you know bohemian rhapsody is a film that you know, like like you mentioned earlier it doesn't have a great score on rotten tomatoes but it it blew past all box office box office expectations and yeah. almost everyone i know who's seen it has written or has told me some version of I don't know what critics are talking about. That was a wonderful movie or I had a great time watching it. You know, and people think that people were way too nitpicky about how historically accurate it was or the fact that like they chose to sort of gloss over certain things and focus on other things. And it's just got right. me thinking about this concept and I'm sorry if I've, you know, yapped your ear off I, too much before. No, I, th I think what you're saying, I mean, it's, it, it's look, this is, you know, talking about Rotten Tomatoes. I'm I'm currently in the process of of uh, uploading or linking to my reviews, and yeah. I do it. Ma you have to do it manually, mm -hmm. and you know you find a pull quote, and you have to. And 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 I found it really challenging because I look at because because essentially the way it works, this is like peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, you as you as the critic make the the decision whether you want to classify it fresh or rotten, mm -hmm. and then you also you you also have the opportunity to add your grading scale, or you know if it's a two stars or or, yeah. you know, or a letter a, grade or yeah. exactly. And and you know I have reviews where I'm reading it and I'm like, is this fresh or yeah. is it rotten? I don't you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a coin toss because because I'm like, what this this review is a eh, review. So what is that? If I'm like, eh, it's fine. Yeah. Is that fresh? Is that exactly? Rotten, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you so, brought that up because a lot of people like the, there's confusion about how that process works. So you, the critic, get to decide fresh or rotten. Right. That's exactly right. And and I'm I'm struggling with it. I'm genuinely struggling with it because it's like, well, I I guess I recommend it kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, because there is that middle ground. You know, it's not as simple as thumbs up, thumbs down the way yeah. Sister neighbor used to do it. So so that's the challenge, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I always say, you know, like if I've written a, a thousand words about something, then it's it's a, there's more to it than just yay or nay. There's yeah. nuance. Yeah. contained in those paragraphs you know yeah there's nuance and everything and i guess that's the that's the fear with these aggregate sites right that nuance is getting lost and it's all getting distilled down to numbers and all that yeah sort of stuff. just uh, algorithms you know yeah but um no that's all really fascinating for me so i'm just curious like what's uh what's the next review what's going to be like the next review you put up on rotten tomatoes i want to like look for it and be like i know that guy 
<laughs> well, uh, uh, let's see. We got uh, Fantastic Beasts uh, coming up next week. I expect I'll have a review of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm seeing uh, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, like I said. Yeah. So I may I may try to crank one out. It's been a challenge this past year or so. I've been so you know. I, in addition to doing all my film stuff and podcasting, etc., I'm also yeah. a teacher. Yeah. And I've been just swamped with teaching i also i have five children who who occasionally i've like seen to, pictures they're beautiful by the way oh thank you so much <laughs> uh, they like to see me sometime you know eh, so, so you know <laughs> it comes in handy i guess i guess <laughs> so so that's that's the challenge i i haven't done as much in-depth writing i've mm-hmm. been focusing a lot on podcasting you know and and uh i want to throw in a plug for for my show the movie film yeah. podcast only because my partner brian hall who i'm very lucky to host with he's a he's a t- tv writer he writes for a show called uh, puppy dog pals on disney wow. jr and uh you know our show what the, the the most gratifying commentary that we get in response to our show is i like that you guys don't just shit all over a movie yeah uh, you're, you know, we, we have conversations yeah. and we have conversations where, you know, sometimes I'll like something more than he does, whatever, but we get into it. And, yeah. and, uh, to me, that's what film should be. It should be something that allows you to, even when you're disagreeing, it starts like, a conversation. Yeah. You're not mm-hmm. yelling at each other. You're not like, Oh, you're stupid for liking this. It's like, yeah. well, tell me, tell me what, why that worked for you. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, why didn't that work for you? Oh, see, I didn't think about that. And then, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that's it's an what exchange of ideas. It's exciting. What a concept. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's always been, I'm glad you said that. That's always been one of my favorite parts of like going to the movies with people too. Like that conversation afterward. You know, I, I don't understand the people who could just see a movie, walk away and never talk about it. I'm like, for me, the movie is, it's a two part experience. I think it's a three part experience. The first part is my anticipation for the movie, right. watching the, the, the romance of watching the trailers and seeing, oh, am right. I sold? Am I not sold? Are you winning me over? Right. You know, then there's the actual seeing of it. But then the postmortem sometimes is almost more important than the actual movie. You know, yeah, how do I feel exactly. about it? And what did I, you know, what did I discuss with my friends about it and all that sort of stuff? Um, so I'm glad you said you're that. Sitting yeah, at, you're sitting at a diner over a basket yeah. of onion rings and just yes. kind of going at it. That's absolutely. The fun and the and onion rings get cold and stale, but the conversation is <laughs> ready right. to go. Um, <laughs> so, and one last thing I want to ask you about Rotten Tomatoes, since it is something that people are very intrigued by, and you're the probably the only person I know who I could speak to this way who's on the platform. <laughs> Um, is can you just walk us through like what the parameters are to get on it? Because I tried, I think maybe even twice to get on there and they rejected me, which I kind of get it. I don't really write a lot of reviews and I'm not part of a film society and whatever, whatever. So I'm just curious, like what are the general guidelines to get on there? Because some people kind of have this this view of like, oh, any blogger, any old blogger can just get on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, no, they actually have standards. So yeah. can you let us know a little bit like what it was like for you to get on there? Um, it's funny because because I've had, you know, over the past several weeks, I've had I've had a, a, a handful of people ask me this. And, and my honest answer is I I don't truly know what <laughs> I did to distinguish me. And, and I'm okay. not trying to be humble. I just uh, because I, I had applied before like a while ago, mm-hmm. like three, three, four years ago. Nothing came of it. I didn't I didn't think anything about it. And then I reapplied relatively recently but i don't remember when it had been a a couple months you know maybe maybe three four months ago and uh you know i as far as my own writing history you know i've i've uh uh, for for several years i was posting uh for for huffington post Mm -hmm. i remember remember that's when i knew you were a big deal 
You oh. shared some stuff, and I'm like, oh, he's on HuffPost. All right, Zach, he's serious. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and, I, and I've written for, for Fandor and TechWard. I've been in Philly Weekly. That That's actually, now that I think about it, uh, Philly Weekly, which uh, at the time was the editor-in-chief was a friend of mine named Steven Siegel, and he was wow. like, hey, we'd love to post your reviews here. And so for a few months, I was doing reviews for them, not very long. And so because Philly Weekly is like a tomato-certified yeah. publication, I got – like my my reviews for Philly Weekly got included at Rotten Tomatoes. Ah, there it's like, you go. Okay. Like three years ago. So when I reapply, I oh, and and this is the other thing is I'm uh, I'm part of the San Francisco Film Critics Circle. There you go. Okay. Uh, so so that's part of it, right? Yeah. And, and so I basically applied with these whatever to whatever extent these credentials matter. Mm-hmm. And I just I it was like a, a bottle into the ocean, you know. I yeah, didn't, yeah. I applied and I just forgot about it. Uh, and then two weeks ago, they're like, oh, we'd like to add you. And I'm I'm as shocked as All anybody. Right. See, and you see, folks, so you can't just walk in off the street and decide you're going to be a Rotten Tomatoes critic. You have to work hard. You have to have a body of work. You have to be, a, you know, part of, you know, Zachy's part of a film, you know, the, the, the critics, uh, what do you call it in San Francisco? Circle. The critics yeah, the- circle. You know, yeah. so it's just that should give some people pause who feel like they just let anyone on to Rotten Tomatoes. Like, no, you got to work hard and you have to prove that you have a voice and, and, and that you've got that you've been doing this for a while. And that you're not just some schmo who likes to every once in a while talk about movies, you know. <laughs> so that should give some people some pause. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about before I let you go to go see uh, Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> is while we're talking about people bringing their expectations with them to the theater. I'm also thinking about we live in an interesting age now where there's so much information out there about movies. People know more about movies now than they ever have in terms of like, you know, how, how, what, go, what's inside the hot dog? How is it made? You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're looking at concept art. We're finding out when the running time was chopped off. We're finding out like there, there's so many little new, what were the test screening results or, you know, and I'm just curious, like how you feel about that. Is that at first it felt like it was helping you know, the idea of like being a fan and being a passionate super fan and really immersing yourself in these projects. But I wonder, like, is that kind of stripping away some of the wonder of these movies? And he, and people are walking in already with preconceived notions because they know every single arduous aspect of the film's production cycle up to this point. So they already have an opinion about things like, you know, I, I see it as a double edged sword. But I'm just curious what you think in this information age is, is it like, is it making us love these movies more easily or is it making us turn against these movies more easily? That's, that's a great uh, question. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I go back to, you know, in my own experience, uh, pre-internet, uh, almost 30 years ago, I remember the summer of 89 when when uh, Batman was about to come out. Yeah. And and, you know, uh, two things about it. Number one, I because my family and I, we lived in Saudi Arabia at the time. We used to come back to the States every summer. Yeah. And so I I'm we're on the plane uh, flying back to the States and there's like a, you know, the airline magazine and I'm like nine going on 10. Yeah. And in that in that magazine, I see a picture of Michael Keaton in the Batman suit shooting the, the, the bat gun. You yeah. Know? This is literally the first time I've even heard of this movie existing. Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, what the, what, you know, and, and, and today you'd know like, Oh, Warner brothers is planning. Yeah. I mean, you'd know, like, yeah. we know every, we know every burp that Matt Reeves has, <laughs> yeah. whether it's related to the, he bat liked gun. someone's tweet about a thing yeah. that was bad. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, so so that that's number one, right? But but then also pertaining to Batman '89, I remember that summer I was, you know, I always tell people like you can't understand if you didn't live through it what yeah. that summer was like, you know. Uh, but I remember buying the souvenir magazine and the the making of book and the novelization and everything, and I read that novelization like fifty times before <laughs> I even saw the movie. And and I'll tell you, I remember when I finally saw the movie, it was kind of a letdown. Ah. Right. Now, I love Batman 89, just to be clear, but I remember at that moment, because I had imagined it a certain way in my head. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, my, my point with all of this is, ever since Batman 89, that's always colored how I approach uh, how much information I want. Mm, okay, that's, yeah. I don't read the, the comic adaptation. I don't read the novelization. I don't do any of that. I'll watch the trailer. Mm-hmm. That's about it. That's the, that's the extent of my engagement. I don't even watch like the, the behind the scenes, you know, featurettes that they drop on, on Twitter I don't, okay. or, or on, on YouTube or, you know, on yeah. YouTube that they now they'll be like, oh, here's a new clip, you know, from yeah. this. And it's, yeah. I don't watch any of that because I just, I want to, I want to whatever extent I can, I want it to be a fresh new experience for me. Yeah. So it really uh, is know, about personal responsibility, right? It's you. Yes. All this information is out there. But you make the decision what you're going to put inside your brain and what you aren't, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know, it's it's funny because uh, uh, I don't I don't watch The Walking Dead regularly anymore. Yeah. But I was like, I want to I want to see what happens with this one uh, this last week, which was yeah. a very momentous episode. And I made the stupid mistake of just offhand, absentmindedly going on Twitter. And there, or not even on Twitter. I went to Deadline.com, which was even dumber. I shouldn't have done that. And real big, it says, you know, Andrew Lincoln blank. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm like, oh well, geez. Now I know how the episode ends. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's my own stupid fault, right? Yeah. That's the point. You know. So it's it's one of those right. things where you, if you don't want to know, you can avoid it. That calms me down a little bit. I guess cause sometimes I I look at things at kind of a macro level, and I get really worried about these trends. And are we hurting the movies? Are we supposed to be trying to give people information that makes them excited? Are we accidentally, inadvertently robbing them of this? But you know what? It is about personal responsibility. They could choose not to read certain things, and the yeah. information's out there. And all right, you talked me off a ledge there, Zachy. Thank you very much. Um, but all right, so Zachy, how can people find you? Mention your podcast again and your Twitter handle and all that good stuff. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Zachy's Corner. That's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. That's also my website, just added .com. And uh, I have two uh, entertainment-related podcasts. One is the Movie Film Podcast, one word, Movie Film. And that's a bi-weekly uh, just a news and review show with, with my partner, Brian Hall. We also do commentary tracks every month, usually one or two. And uh, our most recent commentary track was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. And, uh, and uh, coming up this month, we have Rocky for so we just watch the movie him on his end me on my end and we just talk through it and we have fun conversations i think people will enjoy those um i also host a show called nostalgia theater which is uh, a monthly remembrance of the artifacts i love uh usually chatting with the people who made them or the people who love them so uh you know i've had the opportunity to talk to actors like steven weber and patrick Tully and uh, uh i uh, oh dan gilvazan who is the voice of spider-man on spider-man and his amazing friends he was also bumblebee in the transformers show oh, wow. uh, that's coming up next month and and uh, i i talked to mike reese who's producer of the simpsons and uh, coming up hopefully soon i'm going to be talking to dana gould who's a comedian and he's a simpsons writer I know producer dana gould wow that's yeah. huge and, 
And I'm talking to him about the 50th anniversary of Planet of the Apes, which is my favorite movie and his favorite movie. So we're going to have a fun conversation about that. Well, you know, I mean, that all sounds really great. I hope everyone's checking out those shows. I want to check out when you have Dana Gould on. That sounds like, like it's going to be a, a hell of a time. I'll let you um, go. Yeah. And really, you just thank you so much for coming on the fanboy. And based on how this went, I really hope you'll come on again sometime. I, anytime uh, you, you want me on, I'm, I'll, I'll be there. Awesome, dude. Thank you. So there you had it, folks. My conversation with, with Mr. Zaki Hassan. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I could I, I could have gone on a lot longer there with him. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad we did that. I'm sure it won't be the last time we uh, have a conversation like that together. And I hope you guys enjoyed it half as much as I did. Because if you did, then that means you really, really liked it. Because I really did. Um, and that's it. So that does it for episode 79 of the Fanboy Podcast. If you get a chance, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. Tell your friends, share the good word about RevengeOfTheFans.com, the Fanboy Podcast, the Fanboy Garage, the Revengers Podcast, the Play It Loudcast. We've got a ton of amazing free content for you because, uh, well, you're why we do this. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Keep the support coming. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Adios.